Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the biggest fan of the Grizzlies and Titans I know. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, how are you? Doing alright, just trying to enjoy not having to work because Lord knows work has been kicking my butt lately. But it's all good because we're here to talk football and basketball where what other place would you rather be and today we're going to talk uh julio jones's public denouncing of the falcons if that was the right move or not play a game of believable or buffoonery with the latest nfl rumors and then we're going to do a nba first round playoff roundup do the wizards have a chance of not getting swept should the eastern conference fear the deer and can the lakers win this series without anthony davis but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the xreport.net i repeat the xreport.net uh for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the x report so let's start things off Paying homage and paying our respects to the great Adam Vinatieri, who announced his retirement earlier this week. Um, of his retirement, he's the number one scorer in NFL history, four-time Super Bowl champion, three-time All-Pro, and three-time Pro Bowler. Even in your opinion, is Adam Vinatieri the greatest kicker of all time? I definitely think he is, just because of his longevity and the fact that. He he had a run where he was the most automatic kicker in football. Like if you got to a game, a game winning drive, and you couldn't get the TV, and you had to win by field goal, it was basically a foregone conclusion that you were going to win because he's just that automatic. Word, and I mean the Patriots can attest to that. Super Bowls won three with them, one with the Colts. I mean he has a tremendous resume. Um, when it's all said and done, I think Justin Tucker may be knocking on his door, but just in terms of pure accolades, I don't think it really gets better than Adam Vinatieri. So congratulations to him in his retirement. Had a hell of a career and really showed that kickers are people too. But let's talk some Patrick Mahomes. We got another thing of his we're going to get to in a believable or buffoonery. But in a recent interview, he talked about being more efficient with goal line stands and being able to determine what is and what is not a touchdown. He suggested that football should have micro trips to help with goal line plays. And he said, sure, sure, it'll happen soon enough. So, Ethan, do you think that the NFL – maybe not this year, but sometime soon, may be able to implement a technology where there's a chip in the football to where it'll be able to tell if a play is a touchdown or not? I think they will be, simply because we have so many, we have such great advancements in technology nowadays where we can, we can honestly use technology to do basically anything. And why not, you know, have a situation where um, we leave it up to human error like if the if it's a goal line stand and it's a run play, and we always have the instance where you know it looks like a touchdown at the beginning, then you show the replay and it's not, and then but he still awarded the touchdown simply because the uh, the referees couldn't really see the see the ball across the plane, and if it's inconclusive evidence, you know the calls aren't overturned. Um, so I definitely think that that could be something that happens in the in the near future. 
Yeah, I agree with you as well. Just because, like you said, it makes the game efficient. While there are other problems within the NFL, such as what is or what is not a catch, one thing that I think should be easily determined is what is or what is not a touchdown. And I think that it kind of helps having the cameras at the goal line, but I think having a chip in the football would be another way to instantly just be able to ratify that as opposed to spending 10 minutes or so under the replay trying to figure out what took place. But, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I do think that one day it will happen. All right, let's talk Julio Jones, who, as we all know now, it is no secret that he is not happy with the Atlanta Falcons, wants to get traded, wants to be on his way out. On a phone call with um, Shannon Sharp live earlier this week, he called Shannon called Julio and asked him if he was still with the Falcons, to which Julio said, no, he's out of there. And then, I don't know if you saw the picture or not, but he was also spotted last week with the Dallas Cowboys hoodie on, and Shannon asked him about that, to which he said, I want to win. I ain't going to Dallas. I never thought about going to Dallas. Now, while the, for football fans, it was a nice revelation. It was a lot to talk about. But in terms of the organization, the Falcons, do you think that it was disrespectful to Julio, for Julio to say those things live? I know he didn't know he was on live TV, but still, do you think it was disrespectful on his part? I don't. Because he, if he truly didn't know that he was on live TV, it's not disrespectful. Because the thing of it is, is um, as a as a player, it's been actively known that the Atlanta Falcons have been pursuing trades for Julio Jones for a while, simply because they're in this active restage of starting that rebuild. So for him to say that, especially under the pre pretense of him thinking it was a private conversation, it's not disrespectful. Like if the team, if the organization is telling him like, "Hey, we're not we're moving off from you," and he wants to move on, then it's not disrespectful. I think the only disrespectful part of it kind of plays into um, part of Shannon Sharp of, you know, not letting him know that he was live on air because we all know that if he was live on air, he probably wouldn't have made those comments simply because of um, image and whatnot. I would agree with that. And plus, let's be honest, when it comes to vocal athletes, it's very rare that we actually hear about Julio Jones talking stuff. He's not that big of a trash talker. He's not that vocal when it comes to interviews. So I have, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think that had he known the circumstances, he would have said that. But, I mean, overall, I can understand why the Falcons or Falcon fans would feel some type of way just because of how public it was. It was live TV and, like, everybody now knows. And at least he wasn't, like, he didn't call him a sorry-ass franchise or say that they were garbage. He just said he was out of there. And according to reports that have been coming out, he's been wanting to leave for months. He had notified them months ago that he wanted to leave. So it's really just only a matter of time. Reports are saying that he should be traded sometime this week. We'll see how it shakes out. But, no, I agree with you. I don't really think he was. it was disrespectful because, like I said, he could have worded it worse just because he said, I'm out of there. He didn't discredit the franchise or any of his teammates or anything like that. So I don't really see it as being disrespectful. But in a situation of disrespect, it seems like no player right now feels more disrespected than Aaron Rodgers, who for the first time this past week publicly voiced his frustrations with the organization. Here's a brief snippet. Uh, with my situation, look, it's never been, been about the draft pick, picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. We've had a lot of fun to work together. Love the coaching staff. Love my teammates. Love the fan base in Green Bay. An incredible 16 years. It's kind of just about the philosophy and maybe forgetting that is 
that is about the people that make the things go. It's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. And it seems that he's not the only person frustrated when OTAs began. Of course, Rodgers weren't there. But also a set of wide receivers such as Devontae Adams, MVS, Alan Lazard, Devin Funches, and Aquinas St. Brown. So, do you expect a change to come to the Green Bay Packers, or do you think they're going to try to stand packed with what they've been doing? Um, this is, I think they're going to stay in pack. I think this is an organization that has, for one, it's a very historic organization. It's probably, in my opinion, them, they're one of the most historic organizations. Yes, we know that the Steelers have a historic past of winning. But the Green Bay Packers are like the crop of the litter. They're one of the first original teams that were formed in the NFL. So they have a very historic um, path. So given due to that, I think that they're going to keep things the way that they are and just be like, hey, kind of like this is the Packers' way. This is how we do things. We aren't going to change something because, you know, we have, yes, Aaron Rodgers is the face of our franchise right now, but we aren't going to change how we operate just because of him. Fair enough. Uh, Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that, let's be honest, this is an organization that even before the present front office was there, they stand pat when it came to Brett Favre, who could have been considered uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time while he was there. They didn't change their philosophies for him, and I just don't think they're going to do the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. While I think that, we all know that Aaron Rodgers is talented. I mean, he's coming off of an MVP year. He's arguably the most talented quarterback the league has ever seen. But it just seems that the team does not really want to feed into him. And they don't want to feed into him. I think that it's going to be a bit of a grudge match to see who budges first because I don't think that the Green Bay Packers front office is going to make many changes. And then changes, I mean, like, whether it be making a big trade for a wide receiver like Julio or possibly firing uh, Brian Budenkest, their their, uh, general manager. I don't think those moves are going to happen. And so it's just going to come down to a matter of if Aaron is really as upset as he is, is he going to stay or is he going to go? I think that's more so the question as opposed to if the Packers are going to give in because, truthfully, I don't think they're going to give in either. Barrett, let's talk play believable or buffoonery, starting with – my guy, Stefan Diggs, who has high aspirations. In a recent interview with Buffalo News, he said, I want to win five Super Bowl rings. I want the Hall of Fame. I want the glory. I believe I'm a champion. While I'm not even going to put the pressure on him to get five rings, but real believable or buffoonery that he will win a Super Bowl during his time with the Buffalo Bills. It's believable simply because the Buffalo Bills, they are on an uptick. They have a really they have a really potent team. They have an upcoming quarterback in Josh Allen that showed tremendous tremendous growth this past season. I think the only thing that will hold them back is that, you know, they're in a difficult position or they're also playing they're also playing in a league that has teams such as um the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. You have the Baltimore Ravens. You have a lot of teams. Like the Chiefs are the number one team, but then you also have a lot of teams in the um, AFC that are also on a similar uptick as the Bills. I think that, you know, maybe if once the latter end of this Chiefs dynasty that's potentially being built can die down, I can see them sneaking one out. But I think it's a, it's a likelihood that they could. And it's also the reality of it's any given Sunday. 
Like if you have a good football team, you can you can line them up against anybody. You can get a W. Yeah, fair enough. I agree that it is believable. I mean, I think that we saw last year that the Buffalo Bills, especially with the growth of Josh Allen, are a competitor. They're a team that cannot be taken lightly unless they are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. That seems to be their kryptonite, whether it be not being able to stop the run, their offense not being able to produce um, compared with them in points. Like, it seems to be something. But I think that, like you said, any given Sunday, anything could happen at any time. And so because of that, I think that it does present opportunities for the Bills because they are a nicely built team. I like their additions that they made in this offseason, such as getting uh, Boogie Basham on their defensive line, getting Gregory Rousseau in the first round. I really like those additions to their defense and helping them to get a pass rush that they really struggled to have in recent memory. So I think that it is definitely believable that it can happen. Do I think it's this year? No. But I would not be too shocked if they were to win a Super Bowl at some point. All right, let's talk our main man, Russell Wilson, a guy you and I are both fans of. Early this offseason, there was a lot of talk about him potentially wanting to be traded, being unhappy with his offensive line. But, I mean, being the most sacked quarterback in the last nine years will do that to a person. Well, everything seems to be good now. But it does not seem that it may stay that way long term. Uh, reports are coming out that Russell Wilson is likely on his final contract with the Seattle Seahawks. Wilson is under contract with the team until the 2023 season. Uh, Breer said, Albert Breer says, it certainly seems as if where this season could go in, would influence whether they're going to be back here again next January or February. So, believable or buffoonery, Russell Wilson will not be a Seattle Seahawk after his final contract ends, which is in 2023? I believe, I believe it's very believable. If he's stating that he's frustrated now and that if the organization isn't doing things that can potentially help relieve that frustration, like i.e., honestly, it's only one thing that he really wants because a lot of people are saying, making this thing up about he wants more weapons. He has a nice set of weapons. He just wants a better outline. He's tired of getting hit. Like, this is your franchise quarterback. This is the man that won a Super Bowl. This is the man that took you to another Super Bowl. And honestly, if it wasn't for one of the most, like, most odd plays in the history of the Super Bowl, they would be a two-time champion, in my opinion. And I think that if you aren't able to get him what he wants, which is simply just to be protected, he's tired of being hit, you know, it's different. If you're a running back, you can't complain about being hit because you're going to get hit. You're going to take the brunt of the punishment. If you're a wide receiver, you can't complain about getting hit because you're going to have plays where you go across the middle. But as a quarterback, you can complain about being hit because you have to stay upright to make sure that you get these playmakers the ball on the outside and going across the middle and things of that nature. So I think once this contract ends, unless the Seahawks make significant changes to their offensive line, actually give him protection, I think he's gone. Yeah, and honestly, it blows me when legends or fans try to call these quarterbacks divas for being unhappy. If you're getting hit, like I said, the most out of any quarterback since you've been in the league, and the thing is, this is a man who has a family. He has a life. He wants to be around for his family. I don't think that makes you a diva or a bad guy for wanting to get better protection. 
Like, nobody wants to routinely get hit like that, especially as a quarterback. And I feel like if this is the face of your franchise, teams should do a better job of making sure that their face of the franchise is happy and, most importantly, protected. So I think it's believable as well. I mean, not just this year, but last year was come some talks too as well about him potentially leaving. And I think that depending on what happens with the organization, whether or not Pete Carroll sticks around what John Snyder, the GM, decides to do, I can see him leaving as well. And the thing is, with how Russell Wilson has been playing, I think that he could still be, if he was to um, lead the Seahawks, I think he'd still be a high commodity. Because let's say he'll be, what, 35, 36 around that time? And we know that quarterbacks are playing into their 40s. So I think that there will be multiple teams that will be willing to take a chance on Russ. So truthfully, I think it's believable as well, and I would not blame them. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to another NFC West star, Aaron Donald who uh, Dov Kleeman, uh analyst said, I honestly think that Aaron Donald will go down as the best defensive player in NFL history. Believable or buffoonery, when it's all said and done, Aaron Donald will be considered the defensive GOAT. Uh, I think it's very believable because, in my personal opinion, as far as a modern-day defensive player, it's not that many names that you can associate with that, uh, with that distinction. You have Ray Lewis. You could put, you could uh, outside change. You could throw um, Patrick Willis's name out there, but Aaron Donald has been the most dominant defensive player that we've seen. He's like a he's the definition of a generational talent. He has the type of talent that a Lawrence Taylor had, that a um, Refrigerator Perry had. I can see giving if he can keep this level of production up for like maybe. Another three to four, maybe five years. I could definitely see him being in the um class of being the defensive goat. I would agree with that as well, especially considering. I mean, we see it a lot in basketball to where each generation has their goat. They have their guy that they look to. You know, past generations may say Michael Jordan or Bill Russell. Current generations are saying Kobe or LeBron. NFL. Typically with quarterbacks, you mainly hear that argument, but defensive players is kind of wide open because there are just so many different defensive positions. But one thing about Aaron Donald that you and I both know is like no matter what, he's going to produce. You can double team him, triple team him, quadruple team him. That man is going to get his numbers. He's going to produce. And I can't think of a team right now that is so – yeah, I'm going to say it. I can't think of a team right now that right now, their focus, their primary player is defensive and like Aaron Donald. Because you could maybe say Miles Garrett, but Miles Garrett is good, but he's nowhere near the level of a um, Aaron Donald. Everything runs through Aaron Donald. Rookies are more excited to meet Aaron Donald than anybody else on that team, more than any quarterback, the coaches, receivers. And how many teams can you truly say a defensive tackle is getting that much pop? And so because of that, I do think that Aaron Donald, especially with the numbers he's putting on uh, repeatedly, I think that he really has a strong case of it. But like I said, when it comes to the NFL, especially defensive players, it's hard to just say who's the greatest defensive player of all time because there's so many different positions that factor into it. Like it is to say how hard it is to say who's the greatest offensive player of all time. You can say maybe specific positions, but overall, I think that's going to be the tough part. All right, last piece of uh, believable or buffoonery. 
the Cowboys, for whatever reason, are always topic of conversation. And they were talking about on Get Up ESPN earlier this week, to which a comment was made that said, this is a team, the Cowboys, that needs to be in the NFC title game. They need to be. Dad got paid, so now rent is due. Believable or buffoonery, it is Super Bowl or bust for the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's buffoonery simply because they they don't have the complete talent on their team. They have an amazing offense. They have a great set of they have a great trio of receivers. They have a great running back in Ezekiel Elliott, but their defense is still it's nowhere near the caliber of being a Super Bowl defense. Yes, we know that the Chiefs just recently won a Super Bowl with a not so great defense, but they had they made plays when they needed to make them. They added Tyrone Matthew when he was when he was added to their team, that vaulted their defense up to a slight a slightly better level. I don't think that the Cowboys Super Bowl or bust for the Cowboys. What I do believe is is that it's playoffs or bust for Mike McCarthy. I think if they had another subpar year for the as far as what this bloated standard that the Cowboys fans and Cowboys brass believe that they're gonna have, I think he's gonna be out. But I don't think it's Super Bowl or bust for those guys. I agree with you. I think that in terms of the media, it's probably Super Bowl or bust just because of all the expectations and all the hype around the Cowboys. Case in point, last year I think they won, what, six games? And they're expected to be a playoff team and have all these expectations just because Dak is coming back. But it's like that every year, and the expectations are always too high and they don't meet them. So I'm agreeing with you. I think it is buffoonery. But would you agree with me if I was to say that I think that Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones are better than anything that the Cowboys have on their defense? I definitely agree. And then offensive. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I definitely agree because I think the the thing is is everyone talks about Demarcus Lawrence, but he's nowhere near. He only really got paid off of maybe one to two good seasons. Um, Jalen Smith, he's great, but he's always hurt. The same thing with um, Layton. I think they got rid of yeah, Layton Vanderich and Sean Lee just retired. Yeah, they just I know that Sean Lee retired, and they just drafted Michael Parsons, and he's a question mark. You don't know what he's gonna turn out to be. So I definitely would agree that Chris Jones and um, Tyron Matthew are way better than anything on the Cowboys. Right, and then I mean offensively, with while the argument for wide receivers, I would probably in terms of overall group, I would go with the Cowboys. But I mean Patrick Mahomes is way above Dak Prescott. The contracts may be kind of similar, but in terms of just talent, Dak is nowhere near what Patrick Mahomes is, and so I think that. The Chiefs can kind of get away with that, and plus they have a better coaching staff. Whereas when it comes to the Cowboys, like I said, it's just always the pieces are there, or they're supposed to be there, but they just don't fit. And I don't see this being a year that they fit. I don't see this magically being the year that they go to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship. Truthfully, they got a hell of a time winning their division because while offensively they can compete, defensively, I still would say they have the worst defense in the division because even – I would say this. The Eagles have a great defensive front, especially in getting Ryan Kerrigan helps, and then they have Darius Slay on the back end, who, my, in my opinion, is the best cornerback in that division. Whereas it, with the Cowboys, you have Demarcus Lawrence, who occasionally gives you a good game. Like you said, Jalen Smith and Layton, they're good, but they're always hurt, and their secondary is a legit mess. So I think that because of their defense, I can see the cost of them games – and their offense not being able to make up for it. 
But all right, so it seems in the past month or so, it has been a recent trend of former NFL players making returns but at different positions. Of course, we see Tim Tebow being a tight end for Jacksonville. Kelvin Benjamin, a former wide receiver, making the move to tight end. And now... Brandon Jacobs of the New York Giants said he feels like he could come out right now and play defensive end. So it's got me thinking, Ethan, who are three former NFL players we would want to see come back but at a different position? Um, okay, let me think about these. If you want me to go first, I can. Yeah. All right, bet. So, number three, I got Victor Cruz, former wide receiver, moving to safety. Reason being, one thing about Victor Cruz is he has a lot of talent. Problem is he got hurt quite a bit. One thing about safety is you get to be able to read the field, you get to use your speed, and you can use your ability to make plays. Victor Cruz, when he was on the field, he could definitely make plays. And plus, it's a lot less wear and tear on his body than being a receiver and getting hit all the time because he would have the opportunity to make hits. Would he be a starter? No, but I do think that being a safety would be a nice transition for Mr. Salsa himself, Victor Cruz. Number two, Le'Veon Bell making the move to wide receiver. I know that this past week he made comments about how being with the Jets kind of ruined his production and blah, blah, blah. Truthfully, I, I think it's really on him. The fact that he took that year off, like, I think that that's going to hurt you. And it showed in his recent production. So why not make the move to a wide receiver? Because let's be honest, he put up wide receiver-like numbers when he was with Pittsburgh. When he either catching the ball out of backfield or being lined up in the slot, he proved that he could be a really productive wide receiver if given the opportunity. And so because of that, I think that that is a move that he could make. And I think that he could really revitalize his career if he decided to change his position. And number one, this one is kind of tough because I definitely did this on the fly, but it's just something I think I want to see. Marshawn Lynch making the move to linebacker. We've seen Marshawn bulldoze through people as a running back, getting in people's faces, just dominating on that side. I would love to see what he could do as a defensive player. His height kind of stops him from being a defensive end, but I think as a linebacker, he'll be able to read the field. He knows how to catch, so I think he'd be great in coverage. I think he could get uh, interceptions. And plus, I just want to see him lay some people out. So those are my three former NFL players I think could return at different positions. All right, for me, I am going to say number three, I would say Terrell Owens at safety. Simply because I think he would be a ball hawk. He could be a guy, he's, I know that he's older, but he could be a guy, he's still fast for his age. He could be a guy that can just read the quarterback's eyes and go get the ball. Um, he won't. He probably won't be as great as a tackler that you might want at safety, but I think he could be great in coverage. Number two, you brought up another a running back that can switch positions to wide receiver, but I'm going to bring up another one. I'm going to say Matt Forte switching from running back to wide receiver. Matt Forte, when he was in his prime, he was one of the top three best receiving, like overall great running backs. He was a great receiving running back. Quite often, he was lined up at wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. I think he could come back and make that full-time switch. And number one, I'm going to go with Steve Smith Sr., Switching from wide receiver to defensive back, he played the he played the position of receiver with the edge of a DB. Why not switch him over to that position? And the thing is, is you know he's going to get interceptions because he has hands. All right, so if you can see 
Steve Smith matched up against any wide receiver, who would it be? Ooh, let me think. Cause I'm trying to think of one now. Cause I know I'm not gonna give. I'm trying not to think of somebody who's like way taller than him. I, I'm trying to think of somebody who's like around his same height. That'll be that'll be a good one. I would probably say, you know what? I'm gonna say Jay Jettis. I want to see Justin Jefferson go up against him. I think that would be fun. Got the gritty versus the ice up son. I think that would be a real fun matchup to watch. But all right, let's move on. Let's talk some NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of the playoffs so far? The top three takeaways are the Eastern Conference's top three teams. I think they're legit this year. I think there's no question marks. The question is which which team is going to show signs of faltering early. In my personal opinion, I think it might be the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, number two, um, honestly, this Western Conference playoffs is very much so dominated by stars, which we knew was going to happen. But I think every every game. One of the major stars of each team, they have a great impact on the outcome of the game. And number one, I think depending on how long Anthony Davis is out, if he's not able to return, I think they might lose these series to the Suns. Ooh. All right. That'll be interesting to talk about later on in the show. All right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. For me, starting off out of the East, I got Trey Young. Everybody loves the villain. Until you don't. And I think that Trey Young has really embraced that role against the Knicks. I mean, we'll kind of get to the fan buffoonery a bit later. But just how he has kind of embraced the role of being hated by Knicks fans at Madison Square Garden and still find a way to produce is great. I mean, so far through the first uh, few games of the series, he's averaging a double-double, 27.5 points, 10 assists. Just really been balling out this series. And I think it's probably the best that he's looked this year. So Trey Young is my Eastern mama. For me, I'm going to have to go. I'm honestly going to have to go with the trio of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. They literally are outscoring the Celtics by themselves. Like they, the last game, they put up like 104 between the three of them. And I think they're just in a situation where, it's regardless of what team that they play, you aren't going to have three guys that are capable of defending all three of those guys. You might have one that can slow one of them down, but you aren't going to have somebody that can slow all three down. And this, I think this was going to be the deciding factor as far as like them potentially making it to the finals. Fair enough. All right, let's talk out of the West. This was easy for me. I got to go Luka Doncic. Like, it seems every time he sees the Clippers in the postseason, it's barbecue chicken, and it has looked like that. This past game uh, last night where they lost was the first time he looked human. But other than that, I mean, 31, 39, 44, averaging 33, 8, and 8.3, really just destroying the Clippers at every turn. And it's fresh. It's crazy to think because I remember last year, all the talk was just how great defensively the Clippers would be. And it seems no matter how good they are defensively, when it comes to Luka, there's no stopping them. Yeah, I'm also in agreement with you with Luka. I know that they they just tied the series up 2-2, I believe. But when Luka was, like, looking unstoppable, he was kind of, like, playing around with those guys. He was taking 
fade away one legged three pointers in transition. He was doing stuff that you see people do in like an all star game, and it's the playoffs. So you got to go with Luka. Most deaf. All right, so let's talk some league news. So it is becoming a widely believed concept that the NBA will expand past 30 teams to make up for the loss during the pandemic. As reported by Michael Grange, he says, it's widely believed that the NBA will expand for the first time since rounding out to 30 teams in 2004, partly to recoup losses from the pandemic. Returning to Seattle as part of the process is almost a given with Las Vegas as the other likely city. Now that the arena issues that led to supersonic leaving for Oklahoma City have been resolved. So, how soon do you think it will be before there are 32 teams in the NBA as opposed to 30? I think it might be within the next couple of years, like four, four to five, four to five on a short scale, maybe 10 on a long scale, because I think for one, Seattle, it's been, they've been trying to get a team, a new, a team in there back in Seattle for the longest and we all know that Las Vegas, they're like the hotbed for adding teams to them. They added the um, Raiders. The Las Vegas. Yeah, they added the Las Vegas Knights, the Las Vegas Raiders. And, and potentially get the Oakland A's. Yeah, potentially the Oakland A's. I think that they're trying to add as many sports, making that a major sports market for all on, on franchises. So I, got, I definitely think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, especially because the best time to really do it is now because you want to make up that money you lost during the pandemic because they did lose a lot of money because they weren't getting fans. They weren't really having different ticket sales. So that was a big blow to the league. So I could see it happening. And plus, let's be honest, Seattle is pretty much due. They're due to get a new team. And I think that, like you said, with Vegas really becoming a hotbed for professional sports, I could definitely see it happening pretty soon. And I think that it should. I think that... The only question is be which one will be going to the east because they're not going to have both of them be in the west even though they're both on the western uh, conference territory. And then also would this just mean that divisions, quote-unquote, and basketball would just be dismantled? Because honestly, divisions and basketball are pointless to me. And so I just think that in doing this, this would like officially seal that and just officially shut it down. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that that is something that should be happening soon. But something else that should be happening soon that I can't say that I am in agreement with is the NBA expecting to implement a midseason tournament called the Stern Cup. Now, David Stern has mentioned multiple times over the last few years his desire to have a midseason tournament. And here are some things that it would entail. Um, the winning team... I'm sorry, and I meant Adam Silver as the commissioner. My bad. The, minute, the winning team of the tournament could win possible rewards such as a pool of money, the first pick in the second round of the draft, or even guaranteed playoff spots. The number of games in the regular season would decrease if the tournament were to take place. Adam Silver has been eager to implement a tournament in the middle of the season for some time now. Good or bad idea to have a midseason tournament? Because honestly, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea either simply because, like, I don't think players are, will be big fans of it. I think that will be a situation where you won't get good basketball because it's like, are you at, you're adding a midseason tournament. If there are, you know, um, if it's good uh, rewards for this, like, you know, maybe playoff position or something like that, then I think it could be a decent idea, but I just think that 
his point is like I understand that other leagues like soccer and things of that nature have these type of tournaments in the middle of their seasons. But I think the NBA is it's been suited for the way that these are structured. Yeah, and I think that the only way for fans, I mean not fans, but players to really get excited about it would be to guarantee a playoff spot. But I think that's kind of BS because let's say you win the cup or I mean the tournament and then you lose most of your games after that. So if other teams have a better record than you, it doesn't matter because you won a midseason tournament that doesn't nobody cares about. I don't think that that's fair, and I just don't think that that's the best way of doing it. And plus, NBA players aren't going to care because, honestly, it's going to require more work than it needs to be. If anything, the midseason part is really supposed to be about all-star break. All-star game, players get a time to just have some fun, take a break, whatever. And I think having a midseason tournament just doesn't really make much sense because who does it really benefit? Maybe it benefits – I don't even know if I – I can't even say if it benefits fans because who's to say fans are really going to care? It's not a championship. It's not an NBA championship. It's not really going to – like, for example, let's say the Charlotte Hornets win the um, – Win the cup. I mean, win the tournament or whatever. Would you see them as a better team than the Brooklyn Nets? Oh, no. Exactly. So, it's like, who is it really benefiting? Maybe Adam Silver because he wants to see new new ideas, but I just feel like this is a bit of an unnecessary one. And truthfully, I don't think it should happen. I don't think it's really a good idea. Speaking of maybe not a good idea, Carl Anthony Towns said he wants to spend his whole career – in Minnesota, in a recent interview, he said, uh, while watching the Hall of Fame, he said, I hope to have a career with one team like Kobe, like Tim. And in further news, on the other side, Ricky Rubio, who has had is on his second stint with the Timberwolves, seems frustrated with the Timberwolves because he said that he feels that he does not want to be on a team where there is no direction, there is no hope we can really take that next step. So kind of a two-part question. Do you think that Carl Anthony Towns will stay with the Timberwolves his whole career? And do you see the Timberwolves having any direction? Um, I don't see Carl Anthony Towns staying with the Timberwolves his whole career. I think that whether he wants to or not, I think it's going to be one of those situations where the he's a big enough trade asset to where once they try to actually do like a serious rebuild, maybe they're going to get rid of him. I think they have a piece in Anthony Edwards that they're going to commit to, and I think that they can get a lot of pieces back, potentially first-round draft picks for Carl Anthony Towns. And I also don't think they're happy. I think that they have some direction now. Um, we saw that towards the second half of the season, they were a slightly better team, but, and I feel like it's because whatever – I don't know the coach's name, but he gave them, like, some sense of direction in which they could build towards, but I don't – I don't think so either just because I think barring a couple of exceptions it's very rare that a team is building around their big man anymore like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are really exceptions to that but other than that basketball has really become a small ball game it's been about guards and occasionally forwards it's usually about the smaller guys I think that while Carl Anthony Towns is talented I don't know if he's somebody who if he's your star player, you can win with. And even with the other pieces that they brought around who are talented, like D'Lo, like Anthony Edwards, guys like that, it seems that with him as their star, 
it's not producing much success. And I feel like, I'm not saying I think Anthony Edwards is like destined to be a superstar player, but at the very least, I think that I would, if I was the Timberwolves, I would take a chance going with him as the guy for the future as opposed to Cat, just because we've seen what Cat is. We know what Cat is at this point, and honestly, I doubt that we're going to see much, a completely different side of Cat while in Minnesota. So I think that by trading him, it helps them to really get into that rebuild mode, but also it will allow them the opportunity to really try to create a new identity for themselves that maybe can make them into a winner. Because right now, I just don't – I don't see it happening for Minnesota. But let's talk about a player who is a winner, Stephen Curry, who still, despite his team not making the playoffs, is in the MVP discussion. He – next year, he is going to be on his final year of his contract, and it seems that the Warriors are confident that they'll be able to finalize a contract extension with him – um, he could potentially sign a four-year, $217 million contract extension with the Warriors. Do you think it's any way that Steph leaves the Bay, or do you think he's going to be a lifer? I think Steph Curry is going to be one of those Warriors in Curry NBA where he's a lifer. I think that, and simply because part of it, too, is that he still has a – they have a chance of winning games. Like, this season was an outlier. They were riddled with injury. They lost Clay Thompson and started the year. Um, their first-round draft pick in James Wiseman, he got he had some injury issues. But I think that they have they have a structure still with Steve Kerr. They believe in their coach. And they saw this season they were able to see what they have in other players around still. And I think that they did. He's going to sign an extension. He's going to be a, a warrior for life. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that, too. Of course, like throughout the season, you heard the rumors that LeBron is trying to recruit him to the Lakers and blah, blah, blah. But I just think that, especially with this last year, I think that it's going to motivate Steph to want to stay longer just to be able to really get the team back on track, especially because they had so much success and just not having it over the last couple of years. I think that he's him – Clay, as well as Draymond, want to do whatever they can to get back to that level of success. And I think that he's not going to try to leave or go elsewhere because why would you? I mean, one, you make the most money with the Warriors. You're guaranteed to be the guy. You know you're the guy. And you also have a really good chance of winning. So why change that just for to rock a different uniform? So I'm agreeing with you. I think that barring some sort of catastrophe, He's going to be a lifer for the Warriors. But somebody else who is clear is not going to be on the same team for life is Stan Van Gundy, head coach of the Pelicans. He was hired last year, and I remember you and I kind of had questions about it. Well, it seems like the Pelicans have questions, too. And reportedly, the team is simply just not vibing with Stan Van Gundy, or some player, or at least some players are not. So, do you think Stan Van Gundy is going to be on his way out of New Orleans after this season, or do you think he has a chance to redeem himself? No, I think he's definitely out of there. I think that's one of the um, basically foregone conclusions. I think that his approach to coaching, he didn't mess well with the players that he has, and also just the amount of talent that they have on their team and the fact that they won the amount of guys that they won is a sign that I think that they need to find someone new. Yeah, and I think that what the we're seeing in sports today, especially with basketball, 
if it's not working, if the piece doesn't fit, they're not going to try to put it in 12 different kind of ways to make it work. And it seems that Stan Van Gundy is not working, especially with a young team like this. It's better to make sure you have the pieces in place to be able to build this team into a winner. Why stick with the same guy who is keeping you at mediocre? And while I don't think it's all Stan Van Gundy's fault about what's been going on with the team, I do think that they'd be better off just trying to find someone who can help make them into a better team and helps them grow as opposed to just being a team that, like I said, keeps them at mediocrity. But all right, so before we do a roundup of the playoffs, we got to talk fans and their latest shenanigans, banishments, and just overall crap that players have had to deal with from Tracy Young getting spat on by a fan at Madison Square Garden, Russell Westbrook getting popcorn dumped on him as he was trying to leave an arena, and then just last night, uh, Kyrie Irving had a shoot. I uh, no, he had what was thrown to him last night? A water bottle thrown at him as he was leaving the game. Reports are saying that apparently he uh, stepped on the logo or something. But still, it's getting ridiculous with how fans are doing. Hashtag protect our players has become a thing that has really been resonating with fans who are frustrated with the local latest activity, not just physical, but also verbal. John Morant talked about how fans were saying crazy stuff to him in front of his family. Uh, Kyrie Irving was talking about the racist comments he's heard from Boston fans. Bradley Beal also had things to say about it. So what do you think it will take for the NBA to hashtag protect our players? What do you think is going on? Um, I think that as far as the virus that ramifications, I think that it's something that you can't really protect them from simply because, you know, fan people have the right to say what they want to say. Now, you can do like the NBA's been doing, which is, you know, tossing players, tossing fans out for things, for comments that they make and things of that nature. But it's very difficult to quote unquote protect fans from verbal abuse. Simply because like for one, you can't always hear what everyone says and you can't tell people like, hey, you know, don't say this, don't say that, because they're going to do what they want to do, especially in a situation where you're in, um, in stadiums with alcohol being served. But as far as, you know, some of the things, as far as um, people throwing things in that nature, like, you can... I feel like you can honestly. I feel like they should have a situation where they put up stances blocking the entrance ways on the sides where people can't throw things at them. Like maybe some glass, some clear glass um um walls or something. Because it's like you know, this and it sucks because it's like a free bad apples. But it's very this situation is kind of difficult. Because it's like the NBA, especially, it's such a like it's such a game that's so close to the fans. Like you do have fans right there. It's different from football because fans in football they are maybe ten uh, feet away from the actual field, but fans are legit right there next to the court. I don't honestly know the proper way to do to rectify this, but I know that it's essentially way more difficult. Yeah, because, I mean, we've seen it before with regards to uh, those few bad apples. But the few bad apples encourage other people to act a fool. 
And that's the problem. And I mean, like, and let's be honest, there are some stadiums that kind of have a history of just having problematic fans, like with the Utah Jazz. For years, players have talked about how they hate playing in Utah, how the fans are disrespectful. I mean, Celtics players, fans have talked about their racist comments that they've heard. Philly is Philly. So it's just like, it's like you said, like, it's hard to have a set way to stop all of this because in truth, like you can't really stop it. You can take out the people who are doing wrong or who are acting up, but you can't just, you can't control people in the sense of they just can't do anything. And it's frustrating because I feel for the players because with the frustration, like, like you said, like the verbal things, I mean, unfortunately you just, it's going to happen. But with the physical stuff, it's like, we talked about the malice in the palace and potentially players fighting fans a few weeks ago. And while it's funny and stuff like at the time, like we got to, I think something that fans tend to forget are these athletes are people too. They're not just for your entertainment. They're not animals. They're not circus freaks. Like, yes, they are entertaining you, but they are also people. You, these are still grown men trying to support themselves, support their families, and they just so happen to be doing it in front of an audience. And just because what they do or the result of what they do does not make you happy or it makes you upset, it gives nobody the right to treat them as anything less than human beings. Because I think who, I don't remember who it was who said it, but it was like, that's like you working in an office and because somebody didn't like what you did, they spit on you or they threw something at you. So what gives yeah. so what gives you the right to feel like you can do it at a game, at a sporting event? And then I think it also doesn't help that let's be honest, the NBA is made up of predominantly black men. And I may be wrong, but it's at least with the recent stuff that's happening, it's just been white people or white men who have been doing this stuff to these black athletes, which further perpetuates the notion of these black athletes are not human beings. They are just for your entertainment, and so you can just do whatever. And I can only imagine just how frustrating it has to be for an athlete who just wants to do their job, but not only do they have to deal with the pressures of their job, but they also got to deal with fans doing this type of crap too. And I just think it's unfortunate and ridiculous that this is something that you have to worry about because everybody was just so excited to have fans again, uh, especially after last year's playoffs in the bubble. And when they get fans, pretty much all that we've been hearing is like how fans have been acting a fool. It sucks, and I feel for them, and I hope that they get it rectified. I really hope that this doesn't become a persistent problem throughout each round of the playoffs, but who knows. But, all right, speaking of the playoffs, let's go ahead and do a bit of a roundup, starting with the Philadelphia Eagles – I mean, Philadelphia 76ers leading the Washington Wizards 3-0. Their next game is tonight. Do you think there is any chance that the Wizards can avoid getting swept? No, I think this is a clean sweep. I I just honestly Joel Embiid is too dominant and Tobias Harris has stepped up in this series. I think that the seventy sixers they something that they didn't have when Mike Brown was their coach that Doc Rivers had provided them is they have their identity. They know who's their best player, they know what their best player, they know the type of brand of basketball they're gonna play, they know who they wanna establish. And that's going to help them throughout each round of the playoffs. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I hate to see it for Bradley and uh, Russ, but I think it's a clean sweep. I just don't think that they have the firepower to really be able to contend with the 76ers right now. And it'll make for an interesting storyline as to what they do this offseason. But right now, I think the 76ers move on. All right, Nets up 3-1 on the Celtics after winning last night's game. Can Jason Tatum muster up another monster performance? Because it just seems whenever he needs a big game, he drops 50. Do you see another big game coming from Jason Tatum before the series is up? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. I think that he has the capabilities to, you know, keep them keep them afloat. But I don't think he'll win it at all. I think it might I think that last game where he drops fifty and they won, I think that's the last performance where it's like they're going to actually show signs of beating the Knicks. Yeah, I think so as well. I think it really hurts them that Jalen Brown went down. Uh, Kimball Walker has been pretty disappointing throughout the season. I just think that kind of what we're talking about is just not having enough firepower. And right now, the Nets have the best trio in the league. So it's going to be tough to stop them. All right. The my, Milwaukee Bucks swept the Miami Heat after being losing to them last year in the playoffs. And in the words of Giannis Antetokounmpo, he said, there's a saying, don't play with your food. We didn't want to play with our food. Should the Eastern Conference fear the deer? Um, everybody outside of the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets should fear the deer. I think that the 70, I think that the 76ers, they have, they present a tough matchup and they can put Joe, they can put Ben Simmons on Giannis. And he's one of the few guys that can match up in a physical perspective with Giannis. He's 16. He's 240 pounds. We all know that Giannis is like 6'11", 255, but he has the size and he has the strength to match up with a Giannis. They also have, in my opinion, the MVP in Joel Embiid, and he seems to be focused this year, and he's not, he doesn't, he hasn't really amassed the injuries that he has in seasons past, and I think that he can present a um, difficult matchup because we all, we, like a lot of people, they consider Brook Lopez a great defender, but he's also, in my opinion, the same category as like a Rudy Gobert. He's not a great one-on-one defender. He's a great help defender. And I think that, you know, Tobias Harris has made leaps, and they also have a slew of shooters around those two guys um, to make strides. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think that I think that when it comes to the Bucks, I mean, we saw some great things, but we also have to look, take into account who they were playing. Yes, the Miami Heat did make the finals last year, but, I mean, it was completely different circumstances. They had key players being hurt. And, I mean, it was just it was just a different edge to the team this year. And because of that, I just think that the Bucks, I think they're more – they were more prepared this time around. And I think that Giannis balled out, of course. But, I mean, I just think that it was overall team effort. Like I said, that works for a team like the Heat, whose true superstar is Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo took steps back, and then as you know, it's like kind of a drop-off in talent after that. You're not going to see that same drop-off with the Nets or the 76ers. So because of that, yeah, I think that everybody else maybe should be worried, but right, the other top three teams, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. All right, next up, the Atlanta Hawks leading the New York Knicks 3-1. to one. 
Question being, what's happened to Julius Randle? Why has he been held in check? He's not hasn't been necessarily playing terrible, but it's not the player we saw this regular season. His scoring numbers, assist numbers have both gone down, and his current shooting percentage is twenty seven point four percent. So I was listening to a podcast um, earlier, I think last week, and they talked about Julius Randle. Not last, yeah, this past week, and they were talking about Julius Randle. And I think that the thing that they brought up was the fact that Julius Randle, he took a lot of very difficult shots. Like, he took a lot of step-back mid-range and step-back threes. And he took a lot of very contested shots, and he made them. And I think that what's happening right now is that he's taking a lot of contested shots, and they just aren't falling. Like, he, and he needs to be able to take diff- way less difficult shots. And I think that that's being being something that's holding him. Like, I personally said, like, I know a lot of people compare Julius Randle to a more athletic Zebo, and the thing of it is, is the one thing that Julius Randle doesn't do that Zach Randolph was known to do is he posted up. Like, he, that, Julius Randle doesn't post up. He can take advantage of it because he's physically stronger than a lot of guys in the NBA, and he's quicker. Like, we see him when he takes people off the dribble. He's a very athletic, agile man for his size. I think he needs to find ways to get easier shots before and then start to look at those much more difficult shots that he um, tends to take. Do you think that he'll be able to put it together to win the series, or do you think that the Hawks make it out? I think the Hawks are making it out simply because they have the momentum. And like you stated earlier, Trey Young has bought into this I'm the villain role. Like he bought it he into this hype with being the bad guy. And he's playing with utmost confidence. Like I thought that I had a feeling that, you know, because of the brand of basketball that the Knicks play, they play physical, they play tough defense. I thought that it was gonna um fluster Trey Young and he's actually thriving in it. And I think that because of that, the Hawks are riding a wave of energy and they're riding a big wave of confidence that's going to push them to win it. All right, let's go ahead and move to the Western Conference, starting with the Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Utah is currently up 2-1. to one. Now, we've seen Ja ball out. Ja seems to be able to step up to the moment. But what about Dylan Brooks? Can Dylan Brooks be trusted to be the second-best scoring option for the Memphis Grizzlies? Um, I don't think... I'm not going to – I don't think Dylan's impact comes from the offensive end. Yes, it's great that he's been able to score 20 points a game. And we know that when he does score 20 points a game, that the Grizzlies typically win. But his greatest impact in this series comes from the defensive end. He has to stop making boneheaded, dumb fouls. Like you're fouling guys off ball. You're fouling – you're fouling – Donovan Mitchell has gotten great at drawing that foul where he comes off the screen – and really, it's a moving screen, and it bumps in the end to Donovan, and it gets called in Donovan's favor. Like, you have to play sound, sound, de- disciplined defense against a team like the Jazz. The whole team does, because the thing is, this Jazz team is very much so like the Spurs team in years of the past, where they're going to find the greatest, they're going to find the best shot. They're not going to find a good shot. They're not going to find a decent shot. They're going to find a great shot. And they have a guy in Donovan Mitchell that, when all this fails, 
you can put the ball in his hands and he will make a play. I saw it firsthand in game three. And I think that you have to play sound defense. And I think that Josh is going to have to continue to beat Josh. I think that something that else that hindered them is they have to get Jonas Valanciunas the ball. In game one, when they won, Jonas Valanciunas was a very prominent factor in this series. He was going at Rudy Gobert in a fashion, like I said. Like, if you put Rudy Gobert in one-on-one situations where he's defend, where he has to defend post-ups, he's not great at it. But if you put him in situations where, you know, you can just let him play free safety and cover the paint, whoever drives, that's when he thrives. And you also can get him in foul trouble. So in later in stretches towards the end of the games where you need to have Josh just attack the basket to get points, Rudy won't be there. So I think those are really the keys to help the Grizzlies like actually win this series. But I still feel like they have a shot. I have a I have a strong feeling that they're going to win game four, and I think it's going to be a seven-game series. I would agree with that. I think that these teams, I know – with the last two losses for the Grizzlies, it has people thinking maybe they are overmatched, but I really don't think that's the case at all for everything that you just said. I mean, just using your strength, spreading the ball out more. Everybody knows the ball is going to go to Ja, but you have a player like Jonas Valanciunas who can score in the post, and I think that while Rudy Gobert may intimidate some people, he doesn't intimidate Jonas Valanciunas, so I feel like you have to use that matchup. But also, like you said, Dylan Brooks is also a very important factor to that, and when he get got those six fouls in game uh, three, hurt them a lot. Because, of course, they're going to look for that foul. Yes, you're being a defensive presence. Yes, you can score 20-plus. But if you're not on the court, you can't help. You cannot do much defensively, and it's not really like anybody else on the bench really can help D up Donovan Mitchell. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you, but I think that this series is still very evenly matched. All right, let's talk Phoenix Suns versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Series is tied 2-2. You talked about it a bit earlier, but why do you feel like the Suns will win this series if AD can't go? Um, Simply because, for one, Anthony Davis is, like we know that LeBron is great, but I think that Anthony Davis is their biggest matchup issue. Like I think that they have guys that you can throw in LeBron to potentially slow LeBron down. But you don't really have a big that you can place on Anthony Davis to stop him. Yes, they have DeAndre Eight, but DeAndre Eight isn't really a defensive big. He's more of an offensive threat. And even on that side of the ball, like you, Andre Drummond, he he's boneheaded. The best way to put it, like he will produce and have like twelve points and eleven rebounds, but he will make boneheaded plays. And I think that the Suns was Chris Paul, especially now that Chris Paul is looking like he's back healthy. He's going to be able to exploit that. You can put them in a pick and roll, and then Chris Paul in the pick and roll. Chris Paul, that's a dangerous thing if you don't know how to properly defend it. And I think that you could, you could bring in a Marcus All to help with that. But if you don't have somebody on the offensive side of the ball to help you score, then it's very difficult to beat a Suns team because they have a lot of pieces. They have Chris Paul. They have Devin Booker who can pretty much score 30 a game if need be. They also have DeAndre Aiden who has been playing better in his playoffs. And you have pieces around him. Like you have a Jay Crowder. Yes, his shot hasn't been falling as of late, but he's a guy that can make big shots when you need him. You have Mikael Bridges who can make threes when you need him. It's, it's just a lot of moving pieces on their team. And I think that without AD, you, you won't have the firepower to score as 
to keep up with those guys. And I think that's something people like to forget about the Lakers is, yes, they were injury riddled, but, like, remember how bad they were when AD went down and it was just LeBron. We've seen that while this team is better than the Cavs were, they're still not a team that you take LeBron out and they're a playoff contender. They're just not. They're a team that relies heavily on their two superstars, and without those two in the lineup, it is going to be tough sledding. And we saw that all season because at some point either AD was out, LeBron was out, or both were out. It was tough for everybody to be all on the court and to be able to handle those responsibilities and to step up. And I think that with AD out, we know for a fact he's more likely going to be out game five. And with the groin injury, it's pretty – much up in the air. You don't really know how it's going to go. And if AD can't go, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the Suns can win this series just because look, you can't expect LeBron to do it all on his own, especially because he's coming off of an ankle injury, and we know how that, how those go. And he already said he will never be back to 100% in his career. So if you're able to shut down LeBron, who on that team do you really expect to step up? Who do you trust to do it? And as of right now, sure, Dennis Schroeder has shown some flashes. Montrez Harrell has shown some flashes. No one has consistently been able to do that. And I feel like if it comes down to if LeBron can be held in check long enough for, like you said, D-Book to score 30 or Chris Paul to really get his points going, his shots going, or DeAndre Aiden to really produce, I don't see the Lakers really being able to contend. Can they push it to the limits? Yeah, absolutely. But if AD cannot go the rest of this series, I have a hard time seeing the Lakers pulling it out. All right, let's go on to the next uh, two series. The Denver Nuggets versus the Portland Trailblazers. Series is tied 2-2. Now, Nikola Jokic, up until this last game, had been dominating his first game without 30 points. Um, of the series. What do you think it will take for the Trailblazers to consistently be able to keep Jokic in check? Um, I don't think they'll be able to keep him in check simply because he's he's such a great player and also because once you get, once Yusuf Nurkic sits on the bench or he gets in foul trouble, you literally have no one else on their team to slow Nikola Jokic down. In his cancer, he's a great offensive big. He's a great rebounder, but he cannot defend. He like once you put him in pick and roll situations, or honestly, you just throw the ball down to Jokic on the block. He cannot stop Nikola Jokic. I think that what they have to do is they have to, in my personal opinion, they have to let Nikola Jokic eat and try to stop everyone else because they aren't full. They aren't in full strength. Like Michael Porter Jr. Yes, he's shown. Great strides and great flashes of improving, but he's not a household name. And everyone else on their team, they aren't necessarily capable of beating them. The one man that is capable of beating them is Nikola Jokic. So I would just let Nikola Jokic go off potentially because you're not going to slow him down. He's such a great player. All right, final matchup of the playoffs. And the one that honestly has been getting. The most attention, if you ask me. The Los Angeles Clippers tied with the Dallas Mavericks at 2-2. I kind of talked about it earlier when I named Luka as my Mamba of the Week. But what is it about Luka that stumps the Clippers every time? I think, being honest, I think that, for one, the combination of Paul Jordan and Kawhi Leonard, everyone hyped them up as these great defensive players, and they aren't that anymore. 
I think they're really good defensive players, but I don't see them in the light of the way that they were. Like, Kawhi Leonard used to be the perimeter lockdown defender. And because he's taking such an offensive, offensive leap and he has so much of the offensive burden on his shoulders, he's not that defensive player that he used to be, simply because he has to conserve energy on the defensive end. Same thing for Paul George. I think that he's not the caliber of defensive player that he was in the past because he has to conserve energy and play on offense. And then you throw in a Pat Bell, and like Luke has been saying, he's too small. Pat Bell doesn't have – he doesn't have the same spirit attached to his name that he had in the past because I think people just are like, you know, I'm bigger than you. I'm going to take you to the basket. And I also think that last year in the, play, in the playoffs in the bubble, the Clippers pissed off Luka Doncic. We saw the way that they played him. We saw the thing that they did to him. Potentially, maybe stepping on his injured ankle and doing things like that. Very much of his hurt, got him a BJ white boy and things of that nature. And I think that Luka, he toughened up. Because one thing I've noticed in this playoffs, the few times I have watched the Mavericks is Luka hasn't been complaining about foul calls like he did during the regular season. I think that he took this matchup against the Clippers personal, and he's showing it on the court, and that's why he's producing the way that he's producing. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I just think that when it comes to the Clippers, I mean, we talked about it. the Clippers were supposed when they got form, when they got PG and Kawhi, they were supposed to be this just all-knowing defensive group that nobody was going to score on. And as we've seen, teams have been scoring on them with will at will, and no player has been able to do it more so than Luca. I do think that he took last year personally, especially because he took it seven games really on his back, and he did so against this almighty great defensive group that has not really been there. And I think that because the Clippers are, let's be honest, they're still in flux right now. Ty Lue is not that good of a coach, so he's really not helping them to make the adjustments that they need to to make the stops. It's really just sitting, it's just causing them to look bad. And against Luka, they're looking even worse. But kind of going back to Kawhi, when he went to the Clippers, it was a bit of a shock. And Ice Cube said when he left, Kawhi was a winner in Toronto, but now he wants to be a loser. After, let's say they do lose in the first round of this series, do you think Kawhi will officially regret leaving Toronto and try to leave L.A.? I definitely think he will. I think that his time in, in the Clippers organization is up simply because, you know, he went there to win games. He went there to potentially win a championship, and that just hasn't taken place. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think that he's in a position where where he's in a position where he um he can he signed a short deal simply because if it wasn't going to work out he could be and I think that's exactly what he's gonna do. Yeah, and I think that it was a bit of a stretch going to uh the Clippers anyway, because yeah, you wanna play at home, but this is a team that has organ that has historically been a disappointment, that has historically not lived up to expectations. And so you're there, and you are a great basketball player, but as you can see, they are doing what they always do, which is underachieve. And I think that for right now, while it is frustrating, I'm sure, to be on the Clippers, I don't think anybody can be more frustrated than Kawhi, especially coming off of a championship with a team that nobody really expected to win a championship. And now you're with the team that does get that hype 
And it's like, it's just not warranted. And I've seen rumors, I don't know if you have as well, but like some about him potentially looking at Miami because he wants to play with Jimmy Butler in the first place, blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, I don't even think right now that's his focus. I think his focus is just this series. And then if he can't, if they can't make it out of this series, I could definitely see him being on his way out. But that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net RP, the export.net for school sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close out this bad boy? All right, you already know what I'm going to say. Doug Grizz, we're about to get this dubbed in life. You know, big dubs, you hear me? All right, and so probably this is probably going to take place before we record again. So if you are a betting man, where is Julio Jones getting traded to? Tighten up. I think he's going to the Titans. I think I'm I'm jumping on the bandwagon with you, and I'm calling it. I think it's going to, you know, Arthur Smith, he was our former offensive coordinator. I think it's going to go there. I think the Titans, they they might. I know it's been here. I've been saying rumors today been a consistent presence in having those talks with the Falcons. I think he's going to end up with Titans. Yeah, for me, if I had to pick an AFC team, is I'm still going to stick with the Titans. I know the Patriots are intriguing, but I'm sorry. If, if I'm the Falcons, I'm petty. I'm not giving the Patriots crap. I ain't giving them nothing, especially not my best player. Screw y'all. But I'm interested in this whole Rams thing. Potentially they're in the mix. And if they get Julio, that would be wild. That would, um, that I know who I'm picking to win the NFC West. But thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time.